Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, that's where we're going to start today. Uh, I want to remind you what you got involved in when you came to Jesus. All right. In the 28th chapter, this is the final words in this particular account of what Jesus had to say to his disciples before he left. Don't you think that those final words would be probably some of the most important words that he could say to them? And he tells us, as we look in verse, chapter 28, verse 19, it says in there, and this is the New King James, as I, as I recognize here what they told me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Uh, in the King James, which I love to minister from because I figured it out and I, and I can teach from it and let people understand it a little better. All right, but New King James has the right interpretation of this word when Jesus said, listen to what he said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. That particular word is the verb for the word methetes in the Greek, M-A-T-H if you're taking notes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. Methetes is the word you will find in the Bible for a disciple. And this word is not the word translated for Christian. The word methetes means this, a learner, a pupil, a student. The verb in here means this, that I want you to go enroll people as learners, pupils, and students. Here's what's, unique, what's interesting, and I, and I think this is a good fact to know when you're ministering to people, because the word disciple is mentioned over 280 times in the New Testament. Christian, and look it up, is only mentioned three. So before they were labeled Christians, in the book of Acts, it tells us that they were first called Christians in the, in the town or in the city of Antioch. And it wasn't the Christians calling themselves Christians. It was the heathens that were calling them Christian to identify which God they were associated with. But when he told us in there that he wanted us to make disciples, that was what they called themselves all through Scripture. So when you came to Jesus, you weren't becoming a Christian, per se, or a religious person. Anytime I talk to a lot of people, I say, you know, I will, you know at a restaurant or something, we're visiting with a waiter or waitress or server at that particular time, and, and we ask them, you know, what church do you go to, and, or you do worship anywhere, and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't get into that religious stuff, and I love that because I say, neither do I, because see, it. The walk and the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ is not a religion. It is a relationship based upon the fact you signed up to become a student. So if you're not actively trying to figure out, I made up my mind way, way back in the late 70s after I graduated from high school that I was going to become a student of the Bible. I had no desire to go into the ministry. I, I had, you know, no calling that I knew of at that particular time, but I knew this one thing. If I was going to get to go, know God, I was going to get to know the one thing he left for us to get to know him by, 
and that was his Bible. So it's important. Now, when we talk about being a disciple, I want to go over to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. You don't have it, guys. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to quote it. Uh, it basically said that Jesus went into a mountain and he sat down. He called his disciples unto him, and it said he began to teach them, saying. It didn't teach the masses, didn't teach the multitudes. It said that he taught his disciples, saying, and he went into the sermon. The, uh, he said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He went in through what we call the Beatitudes, and he went through those. But the chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew are the Sermon on the Mount. Because chapter 8, verse 1 says, and he came down out of the mountain. So apparently, he must have prayed and the service was over. Right? So he says in here, in chapter 6, this is where we commonly find what people call the Lord's Prayer. But I want to submit to you this morning, it is not the Lord's Prayer. It is the disciples' prayer. If you want to know the Lord's Prayer, go over to John chapter 17, and you'll see the final prayer that Jesus made before going to the cross, and you'll find out that most of that prayer was probably what he prayed all the time was for us. But when he said in here, and you know it, right? And go and make disciples. Guys, let's go over to Matthew 6, verse uh, uh, 9. It's where we'll start. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. All right? Then he says, he goes on, next verse, verse 8, he said, Forgive us of our debts or our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespasses against us. Then he said, uh, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the last part, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The thing we need to understand, this was not a scripture, that, and this was not a prayer that Jesus wanted us to memorize and walk around quoting. This is a rabbinical, a rabbi's, outline of some things we needed to know on how to pray. I don't have time to do a teaching on that because that's not where I'm going today, but I'll give you these six things really quick if you're ready, all right? When Jesus gave this outline, he said, the first thing you start with, and if you take just 10 minutes a day, or let's start with, how about, can I get anybody five, five minutes? Do I hear five? Just five minutes. Five minutes a day on these six principles, you can be a person that has prayed for 30 minutes a day. First one, it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Spend five minutes worshiping and praising the name of the Lord. All right? That's what, in, in the prayer, he's saying, spend some time worshiping and spend some time worshiping God. The second thing is, what did he say? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing you want to do is spend some time praying that the kingdom of God will come, the will of God will be done, not only in your life, but in the lives of your family, your closest friends, your coworkers, those at the church. He lets us know, spend some time praying. He said, God wants his will done here on the earth where it needs to happen, Okay? Then he goes on, he said, give us this day our daily bread. That's where a lot of people spend a lot of their time in prayer, asking God for their stuff. Give me, give me, give me. All the time. And he says, no, he said, I know what you have need of, but you've got to ask me so I can get it in, the, I can get things moving in the earth realm for you. You have to ask me. 
So spend some time going over those needs, especially those ones that take you by surprise, like your fridge not fridging. You know, your, your, your washing machine not washing, your dryer not drying, whatever. Spend some time with him in that time, five minutes. If I hear 10, that's great. All right? Then he said, he goes on to the next, and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. That's five minutes, just five minutes praying divine protection over your kids, over your family, over your husband, over your wife, the travels you're going to be making. It's Christmas. We got to go places. Sometimes a lot of us got to go a lot of places. But spend some time. Every morning I get up, I, I can hear my wife, you know, has already been up before me, messing around, getting stuff going for the day, and I can hear her praying the 91st Psalm by memory. Why is that? Well, it's because she prays divine protection over all the family. So we spend some time doing that. Last thing on there, it says, for thine is the, uh, the uh, and oh, forgive the trespasses. That was the big one there. Forgive us of our trespasses. That should have happened first, right? Because it said it in there as far as forgive us of our trespasses. We're going to talk about that because most of the people don't, under, don't understand how important it is as a disciple of where we have to be in the arena of forgiveness. But then the last part of it, all right, and, and you do need to spend some time in there. If somebody has offended you or something has happened, you need to spend some time there. But when you get to the last part of it, uh, he says, spend some time in worshiping him again before you get on with your day. All right? So real quick, real quick those are some things that you can do. But the verses 14 and 15 are commonly uh, uh, forgotten about because most people don't even remember what they are. But you know what? It, verse 15, go back to 14, guys if you would, because I thought Jesus could talk about anything he wanted to talk about after he got done with the Lord's Prayer, that we call it, okay? He could have talked anything, but here's, here's something interesting that I thought that, you know, we, it kind of snuck up on us. We didn't realize he put it in there, but he could have said anything, could have talked about our provision, could have talked about relationships, different, and he, he, but he goes into this. He says, for if you forgive, he goes in verse 13, uh, he said, lead us not into temptation, amen. Then he said, for if you forgive uh, men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not uh, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And I thought that was interesting. Then he goes into a whole other subject, and I, and I began to talk to the Lord, you know, about that in recent years as far as uh, the emphasis that you have for you, the body to be people that walk in forgiveness must be paramount. Because there's another place that this exact same thing is said, and we didn't recognize it. In, and has anybody ever heard of uh, Mark 11, verse 22, 23, and 24, where he says, "'Have faith in God.'" He said, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be it cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But if he, whatever he says, and he believes, those things will come to pass. And he said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. You know, and he's talking and teaching about faith. But the next verse, he said, when you stand praying, forgive. So in the time of Jesus, there must have been some issues that he wanted to discuss in talking about people and their forgiveness. Basically, what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to minister this morning, and I'm going to share my testimony on, on some areas that I think are very, very important and uh, some studies that I've done. But if you go over to Luke chapter 17, Jesus talks about the fact that we are going to be in a world where things may not go the way that we expected. In verse 1 of chapter 17, it said, He said unto his what? Disciples. 
what does it say there? Disciples. He said to his disciples, it is impossible, King James says, it is impossible that offenses will come. And he said, but woe unto them through whom they come. The word offenses, when you see it in the New Testament, is the Greek word scandalon. We get our English word scandal from it. Basically what it is, is a, it's a trigger in a trap. And, and a trigger stick. If you were wanting to catch something, you had something, they would put meat on the end of this stick to hopefully trap something. That's what this word scandalon means. It's a trigger. It's a trap. And when he told him, he said, it's impossible these things are going to come. But verse 3, I love what he says in here. He said, take heed to yourselves. I've been in situations where I wanted to take the person that did what they did to me by the throat. But he says, you take heed to yourself. In other words, you pay attention to you because you are basically getting ready to get caught in a snare. And when Jesus talked about that, I think it's interesting because when we take heed to ourselves, I wish years ago that I would have had the revelation of these scriptures in uh, the early 90s, I went on staff as an associate and, and ran my company at the same time. I went on part-time overseeing the Ministry of Helps in Oklahoma. And uh, a few years later, we had a guy that had come in just out, fresh out of Bible school. And, uh, and it seemed like everybody got to start in the same position in our church. Janitor. We're going to see what you made of. You know, if you, if, if you can make that porcelain shine, you might be a candidate for the ministry. All right? And everybody, so in, in 95, we had a guy come in, and, and he was a young fella, and he came in and, and uh, you know, got started in that. And, and we tell, you know, some funny stories now uh, about that. But, you know, was, uh, years and years went by, and we all knew that this young man was going to be a senior pastor one day. I mean, because that's what he took in school, and that's what he wanted to be. And, and it just seems like the longer that he was on staff with us, the less that he was doing to please the pastor. And I basically, I stepped out of the ministry to focus more on business in 2000. Well, this guy was still with him, right-hand man. But I'd get called in the office every now and then, and the pastor just wanted to pour out his heart and, and talk, and, and his famous words were, Let me, I, I want to bounce something off of you. Well, you know, the problem was is the things that he was sharing wasn't bouncing. It was sticking in my heart. And I began to develop, because of my pastor, a dislike for this other pastor. And, and all of a sudden, I think I put on another set of glasses, a glasses of offense, that my pastor was offended by this guy. So I thought, you know, maybe I need to be offended too. And I started, I, I just, I avoided him. I didn't want to talk to him. And, you know, and I wasn't on staff anymore, so I wasn't up at the church every day. And, you know, every now and then he'd want to get together. I just didn't have nothing to do with him because I just didn't think he was doing a good job. He seemed a little lazy. And, uh, of course, you know, I wasn't really there to observe these things. Guess what? I was just getting them from my pastor. But I began to develop, to develop this dislike. And uh, so finally, one day, uh, we get the announcement that he's going out on his own. And boy, was my pastor excited about it. 
And we had the biggest party, I mean, to get rid of this guy. And, you know, the thing was that I had, uh, I had even become verbal about some of the things I didn't like about him. And I didn't, in some situations, didn't even really mention the name. But you know what? Everybody knew who I was talking about. In fact, I had somebody remind me not too long ago, kind of hurt, because, you know, I'm thinking, wow, you know, that did sting some people. My big mouth. Wow. And, you know, I was offended by this guy. And you know what? Honestly, he'd done nothing to me. I just picked up an offense because of my pastor. Well, you know, time went on, and all of a sudden I began to feel something different about my body. He left, and it was several months later, and all of a sudden, man, I, st- I just started feeling different. And all of a sudden I noticed a growth in my body. I went to the doctor, and they said this could be, uh, you know, it was interesting how many doctors. I went to three of them, as a matter of fact. Several of them, my first one I'll never forget, I said, uh, uh, got any ideas on this? What, what, what's going on? He goes, man, I ain't never seen nothing like that in my life. I go, how long have you been doctoring? You know, 30 years. Uh, 30 years? And you ain't never seen nothing like I'm going to have to send you to another doctor. Went to the doctor, another doctor. That guy said, well, that's interesting. Interesting. He goes, I wish I could help you, but I'm going on vacation next week. All right? The third one said, it's cancer. Now, I have said from the pulpit many, many times, and I don't know if it was prophetic or not, you know, but I used to say this, and I want you to pay attention, that if cancer ever does hit your life and try to attack your life, you better have a reason and a purpose for being here stronger than cancer, okay? You better get your purpose down, what it's about, why you're here, because if you don't, you'll go. You have no reason to be here. You know, you might think, you know, your kids, well, I want to see my kids grow up. Oh, I want to see, you know, this, that ain't strong enough. I'm talking about your purpose from God while you were born, before you ever had kids, before you ever had your husband or your spouse, why were you here? Okay, and I said that. I said that multiple times. So anyway, I thought, well, that's no problem. I've been teaching on healing and health and, and faith over 20 years. I got this. This is nothing. Well, you know what? It just kept growing. And it kept growing. I went to a natural doctor. I'm praying. I'm believing God. I am confessing every day. My body's healed. The cancer's dead. It cannot live in my body. And it just kept growing. And one day I asked the Lord, I said, uh, what's going on? And he said, uh, you've got an offense. I said, is that how that got on me? He said, yes, it is. And I had, to, I had, I, I went, and this is the thing. I mean, it's so, it's so blurry on everything that happens. Because while this cancer in 2007, when I was diagnosed, all right, and it started growing, all right, in 2008, the beginning of the year, we go down to St. Augustine because I serve on the board from the very beginning of Anchor Faith Church, and we were at a inter- anniversary service, and the Lord started dealing with me about moving. I said, I ain't moving. I'm 48 years old. I've already given you my firstborn. What do you want? And then I ended up giving my secondborn. I mean, I ain't moving. Well, you know, you only get to argue so long. And then you better get an obedience real quick. So I am, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, what do we need, you know, to do? I mean, you know, I've got the company here. Do you need me to sell it? What do we need to do? Well, you know, we're coming. 
I thought it'd be a whole lot quicker because that was, uh, that was April of 2008. We didn't get here till May of 2009. But up until that time, I was seeing a natural doctor, nutritionist, different things like that. Thought we had some things under control. And so one day as we're pulling into the, the, the driveway of my house, my pastor calls me. And he said, hey, man, I said, he said, I want to get, uh, I wanna get uh, together with you and uh, bounce some things off of you. Heard that before. And, uh, and he said, oh, by the way, I got a question for you. Um, are you planning on moving to Florida? And I said, Pastor, I just, you know, we just got in from Florida. I mean, we'd just been there, and the Lord confirmed to us we we're going to be moving. And I said, yes, sir. I said, it looks like we're going. He goes, oh, I thought so, because, you know, I didn't understand why you had gone down there, uh, you know, one week and then went down there, you know, two, three weeks later. At that particular time, he cut me off of any conversations, any ministry, anything that I was doing. It was like I never existed. Well, you know, I got to thinking about that because, you know, I still had, I still had some problems with the other guy. Now I got one with the main guy. And I, I had hurt my feelings. I mean, this wasn't somebody else telling me about somebody else. This is me now. And I said, I served that man for 20 years. And then when it was time to go, he didn't even show up for our departure, our service. He didn't even come. And, man, I just started, you know, I, I, just, I, just, I just started developing that attitude. So, you know, where most people only have to deal with one, I got two bushes growing of bitterness. Well, before we left to come down here in 2009, the Lord talked talk to me. He said, if you don't get this straight with the other pastor, he said, he said it, it is going to go very difficult for you. Man, I ran to his office. I got on my knees and I asked him, please forgive me. I said, all that I said, all that I did, I said, can you see it in your heart to forgive me? And he said, yeah, bro. He said, I've been wanting to get with you for a long time. And then I got to hear the other side of the story. Never, ever forget there are two sides to every story. Now, was I shocked? Not really. I, didn't, I just didn't want to hear it. But him and I are great buddies today. As a matter of fact, he was one of the first guys. When he came to our church, I discipled him. 22 weeks, him and I were together. And how in the world we fell apart. But what was it? Somebody sowed a seed in my heart. And, and, and I let it take root, and I let it begin to grow. But we got that uprooted that day. But you know what? I didn't deal with the one with my pastor. I could not believe that he did that to me. I mean, I knew it was bad. Because when he'd call, you know how it is. You know he's calling. Put that right back in your pocket. We're not going to talk to you today. None to talk about. All of a sudden, the cancer started growing. I started hurting in the middle of my back. And I'd get up in the middle of the night, and I'd start taking showers, you know, hot showers, just to see if I could get the pain relieved. And I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I could never find a place of comfort. Well, you know, I found another doctor in St. Augustine that was like the doctor I was seeing. And he said, man, I said, can you just pop my back? I said, my back's out. He said, no, man. He said, you've got more stuff going on than just the back. Well, finally it came down and Melanie said, that is it. And I think it came after I fell down the stairs. And I landed right in the middle of that place on my back. And, man, my body was tingling. Junior 
comes walking around the corner of the stairway, looks down at me and just busts up laughing. I said, please go get me a pillow. I said, my body's experiencing a little bit tingling. But that's what my family does when you hurt yourself. Okay? You cut your arm off and they just think it's the funniest thing ever. Just weird people. I don't do that. All right? So anyway, you know, she said, that's it. I'm taking you to the hospital. And I, and I just, I knew in my gut, you know, I knew in my gut, just deep down in there where the spirit is in there, called the bowels, it's called the bowels as far as the innermost part of man when it's talking spiritually. I knew that I was in for, I, I knew that I was in for a fight. Well, they diagnosed me. I had, I had cancer and, uh, and it was full blown. It had spread to, I had a mass between my kidneys and I had I had a, a small mass in my spine. It had eaten the front of my spine out, and it had collapsed both the other two vertebrae on top of it. And uh, excruciating pain, and they began. And they wanted to do radiation. They wanted to do, well, I just kept, you know, I just kept going. And I'll never forget, you know, after all the chemo, and, you know, chemo for me wasn't that bad. I, I did look bad, okay? But, you know, when you're already bald, losing your hair, on your eyebrows and everything else, no big deal. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in the office and the doctor saying, Mr. Clay, he said, here's your scale. He said, you know, here's good, here's bad. You're really bad. And I remember, you know, we went back to several appointments, different things, and then basically they introduced us to the end-of-life counselor said that he'd help Melanie get everything together uh, because they'd done everything they could. I had four rounds of chemo, and uh, they weren't seeing any progression. And I'll never forget, somewhere in the time, and I've been really trying to find the timeline, but pastor came out to the house and uh, brought the entire staff. And we're all sitting in my little bitty office, and I'm in a recliner. And I am, I am swole up. I gained 60 pounds of water in just my legs because of the kidney challenges that I was having because of that mass. And he's sitting across from me, and we're sitting there, and he goes, Randy, he said, man, we have done everything that the Bible says do. Can you think of one thing, at least one thing, that is hindering the healing of power of God to get to you? And I mean, as quick as that came out of his mouth, my answer came out. I said, I cannot stand my former pastor. Now, of course, everybody's jaw went that I'd even say that because they all loved him. And he said, he said, do you not think we need to get that taken care of? I said, yeah, and we're going to do it right now. And I did. I, I, I got it all out. I told the Lord, I, you know, and I apologized for my attitude and the whole bit. And I knew that I was delivered because the next time he called, hey, pastor, what's going on? I knew it. And, 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 and I was free. But, you know, I still had to deal with some things. And they had let me know that I, I told Melanie after we had the meeting with the end of life counselor. And uh, we were, we, she was pushing me because I was in a brace because of my spine. And we were wheeling down the hall. 
and I couldn't turn around and see her. And most people said, hey, well, you know, were you paralyzed or something? I said, no, I wasn't paralyzed. I said, we just belong to a church that has a bathroom two miles down the hall. And I couldn't get to the bathroom fast enough, so I had to have some wheels. All right? And so we got out every Sunday, and we're in that wheelchair, and we're moving, and I'm moving, and we're getting to where we need to go. And, and I'll never forget, you know, when we were walking down that hall, I could hear her crying. I said, what? what are you crying about? And she goes, that wasn't a good report. I said, honey, here's how this is going to go. I said, we keep coming back until their report lines up with my report. My report says I will live and not die, and I will declare the glory of God. And we just kept coming back to appointments. They couldn't believe it. And we get into March of the next year, and I'm still going back to appointments. And the doctor looked at me and he said, Mr. Clay, you are an absolute miracle. I want to say, could you write that down? Write that down on your, in your little book there. Write that down. He said, we, you had already hit stage four before we had gotten to chemo. He said, we knew you were going to pass between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 2010. You knew that, did you? <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I'm glad you didn't say nothing. <laughs> I'd hate to have to carry that for six months. Well, you know what? That December, before we got to that meeting, December, they decided that I, was, I had lost enough water weight that they could operate. And they were going to take that source tumor. And I'd curse that thing. I mean, you know, I'm remembering the story of the fig tree, right? Mark 11. And I, and I said, I curse that cancer out of my body. You will no longer grow in my body hereafter forever. Well, I did that a year ago. But because of the sin, the unforgiveness, the different things that I had growing in my life, his word had no effect. And so I'm sitting here and, and, and uh, I'm saying, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, and they always said this. They said, I guess we're going to have to bite the bullet and go ahead and do this surgery. And I go, Who's biting what bullet? I know y'all are not going to be biting a bullet. It's me. I've seen the Westerns. I know how it works. So I went to that surgery. Two nights later, they called me. They said, Mr. Clay, the surgeon called me at night, 9 o'clock at night. I said, what in the world? And he said, I said, why are you calling so late? And he said, I have to tell you this. He said, we took that tumor out. And after we did examination, there is no living cancer cells in that tumor. And I said, well, if that's the case, then what about the other tumors? My back and between my kidneys? He goes, there's a test we're going to run called a PET scan, and we'll see. No cancer. Completely gone. Okay? But I got some, I got some stuff still in my back, like scar tissue. I still got my back. It's still, you know... It still hasn't had anything done to it. But you know what I noticed in the process? That my back, even in that brace, wasn't hurting anymore. I said, what in the world? We get, finally get to see the neurosurgeon. And he goes, he comes walking in there, and I'm sitting down, and I'm looking at him, and I look at Melanie, and I go, how old is this guy? And I asked him. How old are you? 
And he goes, I'm 35. I ask a dumb, dumber question. Have you ever shaved? I'm thinking, are you serious? This is the spine guy? He said, Mr. Clay, he said, I said, you came highly recommended. And he goes, yeah. He said, he said yeah, I've, I've done a few of these surgeries. But he said, uh, can I ask you a few questions? I said, sure. He said, uh, did you dress yourself today? I go, well, yes. I'm thinking, that's, I'm looking bad. <laughs> I must be looking bad. He goes, he goes, well, could you get up and walk for me? I said, sure. He goes, can you stand on your toes? Yeah. Can you stand on your heels? Yeah. He said, we want to let you know this is nothing less than miraculous, was the word. I want to say, could you write that down in the book? He said, I want you to look at your MRIs. Here's your MRI with that front of that vertebrae completely gone. And he says, we can't believe you even walked in here today. But when we look at your other, your other MRI, something has grown back and put your spinal cord back in place, has put your vertebrae back in place. He said, are you sure you're not having any pain? I said, none. He goes, are you on any pain meds? I said, no. I haven't had pain since that was 2011. My back was totally healed, no surgery. He said, they called me the night you came into the, uh, into the ER and said, assemble your team. We're going to have to do surgery on this guy in the morning. And he said, the cancer people said, no, you're not. Said, we don't want you digging around in there and spreading it all around. So the Lord just did what he had to do, no surgery. Well, you know, I began to, I began to you know, really study out how in the world can people get out of this. And again, how did that come on me? Now, I still have, I still have residual issues that I am in confession and believe in God every day. But you know what is sad is that when I was going through that in the initial stages after we moved down here, there was a woman in our church that was going through cancer at the same time. She was supposed to be the superintendent of our school. And, and I'll never forget, I was fighting cancer myself and we were doing 24-hour vigils at her house praying as couples. 24, 2 in the morning to 4 in the morning, 4 in the morning to 6 in the morning, the whole staff. We did that for two weeks. And you know what was sad? We lost her. But right before she died, you know what she said? Because they asked her the same question, is there anything that you can think of that is keeping the healing power of God and all the time and word we've invested in your life from manifesting in your life and healing you. And you know what she said? She said, I will never forgive my mother for what she's done to me. And she died. I'm, you know, I look at Jesus when he gave us these particular commandments. That's what I call them when he talks about that. But think about this. When he said in there that if you forgive others when they do you wrong, he said, your father will forgive you. But he said, but if you decide not to forgive others when they do you wrong, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. I have got to ask the question, what is the result of God not forgiving us? Personally, I don't want to give much thought to it, okay? 
Now, when people have asked me, he said, well, you mean to tell me that God was going, uh, you know, that uh, allowed that stuff to be put on you? I said, yeah, I'll tell you that. I got scripture to prove it. Go to Matthew chapter 18. We're closing. Matthew chapter 18 is a story where Jesus told us how we were to treat each other, how we were to respond to each other, how we were to get things right and get them quick, okay? This is a very, 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 very stout word. And, it wasn't, and it's red letter if you have a red letter Bible, okay? In fact, this is so serious. I got to get my glasses out to read it. I've been going through my mind most of it today, you know, of what I already have in there. But I want to read verses 20, 23. Look at this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought before him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Today's money, that every talent was 100 pounds of silver, or 200 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, of gold. Pounds. We don't gauge it in pounds, we gauge it ounces here. It's worth $1,200 an ounce. So if you've got a calculator, you can do your math when he's talking about 10,000 uh, 10, talents. All right? This guy owed a lot of money. All right? Then he says, uh, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him and said, Lord, I have patience with me and I will pay you all. You need to look at those, those words that he just said. He just said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed and forgave him of the debt. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Notice they're both servants. All right. He said, which owed him a hundred pence, just, just a few coins. All right. Then he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet beside him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. That didn't ring a bell because that's exactly what he said to the king. Notice what he says here. Uh, he said, and he would not, and he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the whole debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told their Lord what, all that was done. And the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt because thou hast desired of me. He said, should you have not also had compassion on your fellow servant and as had pity even as I had, uh, he said, on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you. The Lord was wroth and demanded him to be turned over to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Look at verse 35. I have it highlighted in my Bible. Okay. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you also, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother's trespasses. So will the Lord turn you over to the tormentors? I think he can. Can you recover from the tormentors? I know you can. But you know what the best life to live is free free from unforgiveness, free from bitterness. You've got you've to put it into that what? He has forgiven us much. If you've been with the Lord any length of time, you've messed up. You go back to him, 1 John 1, 9. If you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You still have that advocate with him.
He is your advocate with the Father. But when we see scriptures like this, that he said, listen, I am not going to put up with you being offended all the time, being hurt all the time, having something against somebody, getting verbal about it. You need to be careful. All right? We are called to love one another. What do you say? Herein you will, all men will know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. Don't let junk go. If you need to, you need to go and, and visit about it, you need to visit with them. If you go back through some of the scriptures I gave you, he, he lets you know. First of all, you take heed to yourself. Then you go tell your brother, this is what bothers me. It bothered me. It said if you repent, you know, he said if you repent, you've gained your brother. But do not let those things enter into you. You know, the saddest part of this whole story was I forgave my pastor for what he did. But I didn't have a chance to tell him. He died before I could get to him. He had some issues of his own. That's what the Lord showed me. He had some things going on in his own life. And uh, he didn't get over them. So we need to be people that are walking in the love of God. We're making, uh, you know, patience with each other. We've got to do that. All right? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father, we thank you that today we had an opportunity uh, to be able to... Um, visit about, you know, a subject that I think you think is so important because you are coming and that we want to be without spot or blemish. And you've told us that unforgiveness and bitterness is something that can put a blemish on us and we want it off in Jesus name. You know, you may have come this morning and say, you know, that's me. I got some stuff I got to get rid of. I encourage you today. Do that. Ask the Lord first to forgive you. And then if it's appropriate, because sometimes it's not, because you've got to take heed to yourself. You've got to pay attention to you. That's what we're commanded to do. And if you need to visit, head until you've got some things right. And if you need to visit with them about it, you know, ask the Lord to tell you what to say. Ask Him to share with you, what can I say that will make this better and get this thing resolved? We've got to do that. But you may have come this morning... And, you know, and, and say, you know, I've, I've never had the opportunity to understand about being a disciple and asking Jesus to become my Lord because that's what he wants to be. He doesn't want to be just a Savior. He is your Lord. That's how you get born again. The Bible tells us if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll, you'll experience eternal life. You know, you're going to have eternal life whether you accept him or not. We're all made to live forever. But it's with who and where you have the choice. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.